Can we risk being a generous person, a generous people? Can we risk it in such a world? We really have two very different passages of Scripture that we just heard read. One seems pretty straightforward, and the other one is uh, less so. Uh, it's a head-scratcher, has been for generations, people wondering what in the world Jesus was getting at. So first, quick look at the always cheerful prophet Amos. If you've spent any time reading the uh, Hebrew Scriptures, you know that Amos just doesn't have time for small talk and uh, tends to get right to the point. Uh, he was said to have been a shepherd who was called by God to prophesy during uh, a, a relatively prosperous time in the history of Israel. If nothing else, uh, Amos uh, is easy enough to understand. You don't read a passage generally from uh, the book of Amos and wonder, hmm, wonder what he was hinting at, okay? So uh, some of the people were living, not all, but some, uh, many people were living comfortable lives as is often the case at the expense of others uh, during a time of relative peace. And Amos had a lot to say about all of that. Hear this, you that trample on the needy, he said to his own people, and bring to ruin the poor of the land, saying, when will the new moon be over so that we may sell grain and the Sabbath so that we may offer wheat for sale? We will make the ephah small and the shekel great and practice deceit with false balances, buying the poor for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals and selling the sweepings of the wheat. The Lord has sworn by the pride of Jacob, surely I will never forget any of their deeds. So the prophet Amos rails against the systemic exploitation of the poor, of scales set with false balances, of making a couple of bucks even off the sweeping of the granary floors, which was by custom, at least that given to people in need. Maybe we can figure out how to make a couple of bucks off of that, uh, the people were saying, apparently. And at a time when so many people around the world are suffering, and with so many people in our own country living below the poverty line, the words of this ancient railing prophet sound alarmingly relevant, but still countercultural. If there's really one big truth for my money, that binds the ancient Hebrew scriptures uh, to the New Testament, one pathway that connects them uh, each to the other. It is that God has a heart for the poor and that God's people are called to the same. This is not, however, the dominant religion of our time. There is a famous scene from the now kind of oldish movie Wall Street, you will remember, and this scene is really still a quintessentially American homily. Let's take a look. So there is that on the one hand, and on the other you have Amos yelling about buying the poor for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals and selling the sweepings of the wheat. Reading from Luke's Gospel this morning, touches on this same theme that Amos did generations earlier. And really, it's, been, it's, such, it's, it's such a kind of troubling parable in that Jesus seems to be holding up as an example a dishonest manager 
So Jesus comes off sounding a little bit like Gordon Gecko when we read this parable, which is why a lot of preachers are preaching on something else this morning. It's, uh, it's been causing uh, some anguish for a long time. The manager said to himself, what will I do now that my master is taking the position away from me? I'm not strong enough to dig. I'm ashamed to beg. I've decided what to do so that when I'm dismissed as manager, people may welcome me into their homes. What was Jesus getting at in this story? We clearly inhabit a cultural moment in which some people, Christians often as much as anybody else, regard themselves as more deserving of society's benefits than some of their neighbors deem to be for whatever reason, place of birth, race, orientation, some whatever the reason, they are deemed to be less worthy. And the Gospel of Luke has an awful lot to say about this. Luke features several parables in which characters of relatively high status uh, in these stories that Jesus tells uh, are experiencing a crisis. They're just up against it. And in every instance, their help comes from well below themselves on the perceived social ladder. So the anonymous Jewish man on the road to Jericho uh, would seem to the hearers of Jesus to have been superior to some Samaritan, but lying half dead in the ditch, he will find a neighbor in the traveling salesman that God sends from that God-forsaken place. <laughs> the prodigal son finds himself desperate enough to, to beg for a job as a hired hand on his own father's estate, and his superior older brother can not join the party until he reconciles himself to his scoundrel of a younger brother. The rich man feasting at his own table ignores poor Lazarus that he can see from where he sits outside his own gate, but later in the story, in the next world, this rich man will beg Lazarus for help, just a drop of cool water. These parables suggest a world in which status, how we see ourselves, how we believe we are seen, what we think of our place in the world, status is fleeting, in fact, even dangerous. The manager who once controlled the accounts of his master's debtors has got to now hope for their their, their hospitality, their help. So summoning his master's debtors one by one, he asked the first, how much do you owe my master? He answered, a hundred jugs, uh, jugs of olive oil. He said to him, take your bill, sit down, and make it 50. And then he asked another, how much do you owe? And he replied, a hundred containers of wheat. And he said, take your bill, sit down, make it 80. And his master commended. Now remember, Jesus is telling this story. So, you know, we're trying to figure out the moral of the story. And then Jesus includes, you know, it was hard enough. And then Jesus includes, the master commended the dishonest steward because he had acted so shrewdly. It's an odd story. So we just get, we enter into it and we have a look around there. There's a rich man who, who had a manager and everybody hearing Jesus would have immediately known what he was talking about. They understood an absentee landlord, the kind that these were very common in, in first century Palestine, represented the uh, ruling elite class of landowners, and they usually lived off in cities, so they needed somebody to take 
care of their properties, and they, they held uh, the ownership and, and, and derived the profits of, uh, of those properties. The fact that they did not live on that land uh, meant that they needed someone to run it for them, right? So this guy managed the estate for uh, his boss, and his job was to realize the highest possible profits on behalf of the owner. And in the meantime, he would jack up the prices he was charging to the tenants in order to get a little something for himself. And the workers knew it was no use trying to complain about this tyrant of a manager to the landowner if they ever did get that chance because that is precisely the kind of person the landowner wants running his property. If the workers wanted to somehow get back at an abusive manager, they'd have to bring other charges. And charges were brought that this man was squandering his master's property. The rich man, the landowner, will always keep a suspicious eye on his manager. And the tenants will always resent the power that that manager is leveraging over them and their, and their families. Jesus is presenting a, a scenario that would have been entirely familiar to those who were listening to him. A distrustful and greedy, wealthy Landowner has heard anonymous rumors that his manager is not being fair. He's being wasteful. So the manager calls in the people he suspects are behind the rumors one by one. And he asks them to accept a huge reduction in what they owe to the landowner. This probably meant for him giving up the, even the amount of the kickback that was intended for himself. How much do you owe? 100, take your bill, sit down and make it 50. How much do you owe? Sit down, make it 80. And this manager, by his quick thinking, is able to reverse all of the scripts in a way. He, he, he relieves poor people of the burden of their debts, and somehow he's able to keep his own job at the same time. And the moral of the story, I have no idea. Been looking at it for 30 years, and I do not pretend to know exactly what Jesus was getting at. And maybe that's the point. Luther said, In the reign of God, we are all beggars. In fact, it is said that a slip of paper saying just about that was found in his pocket upon his death. We, in the kingdom of heaven, all of us, each of us, are beggars, born into a broken system, stacked against the poor, as it ever has been. We are called to work for justice and mercy for, for all. At the same time, God continues to shower these very things on us, goodness and mercy and justice and righteousness. Maybe this story is about where we place our trust. Can we risk being a generous person, a generous people? Can we risk it in such a world? Lost coin, lost sheep, lost son. Jesus is showing us a different 
way of being in this world, a different place to look for our status and for our security. Luther wrote, Many a person thinks he has God and everything he needs when he has money and property. In them he trusts, and of them he boasts so stubbornly and securely that he cares for no one else. Surely such a man also has a God, mammon by name, that is money and possessions, on which he fixes his whole heart. It is the most common idol on earth. Jesus continues to give us a picture of a different reality, a different kingdom, a different way of being in the world, a different way of understanding what our status is in this world. I'm always looking for a picture of that reality, and I see it so often in the community of faith. I see it here. I see it in the expressions of of the church community around the world. One of my favorite kind of examples of, of this different way of being in the world, of understanding our status as God's own children and risking generosity. Imagine the different way it must feel to give your offering at church during worship when you're not sure, perhaps, how you're going to feed your children tomorrow. So often we find ourselves as we uh, are worshiping with our brothers and sisters in Lutheran churches in Tanzania, experiencing this holy moment. Uh, There are offerings taken during worship inside the sanctuary space, and people bring their offerings forward, little envelopes, and they place it in in the plate, much like we do. But there are people who live in the villages around these poor churches who haven't held any sort of currency, not a coin, not a, not a bill, in their hand for the, for, for the past year even. They subsist with a little farm. We might call it a garden. They call it a shamba around their little huts. But they show up so joyfully and gratefully at worship, understanding that they have been claimed and chosen as a child of God, and they want so much to be able to express that in giving. And so if they aren't able while the service is inside the church to have something to put in the offering plate, then here's what happens. Every, it happened this morning as they worship. In Tanzania, every church across the country, the the service near the end flows out the doors. It goes outside, and the, the congregation gathers in a big circle. And those without any money to give during the offering have brought something from their shamba at home, sometimes as little as one egg from their chickens. Sometimes um, some, some sugar cane or some grass they've cut from the ditches for cattle that's bound up and can be used. And these items then are auctioned off in a boisterous, joyful, funny auction that's still part of the worship service. So if I have no money and I couldn't express my gratitude to God by bringing some, 
some money to put in the offering plate while the service was inside. Now as it's outside, my one egg is sold to somebody else in my own Christian community. And that money that they paid for that egg goes in the envelope that has my name on it and goes into the offering. It is such a beautiful picture of dignity and gratitude and graciousness and and risking generosity. One of my favorites. We are part of that same community here this morning. Can we risk seeing ourselves in this world with a status that is not derived from our nationality or our sexuality or our race or our religion or our denomination? Can we risk accepting the status that is so graciously given to us through Christ as God's children? We cannot rise above that status. We cannot fall below it. And so we are called together this morning and reminded that we are who God says we are, God's own children. That is always good news. I remember I have just a little video clip from uh, the trip to Tanzania a couple of years ago to give you an image of what it looks like when the churches spill out into the courtyard. And, uh, where this is just a, just a short clip. It'll give us a picture of what I was talking about in that regard. So let's have a look. You see the congregation all makes a big circle and there in the middle are all the items that they've brought. The members are bidding on the different items. I remember this morning that one time in some of the churches, not all of them, that this auction happens in all of the Lutheran churches at the end of the service. But at some of them, the items that are uh, sold and given as offering during the, that part of the service at the end are brought forward during the service inside the church. And I was uh, receiving the uh, offering baskets uh, as I was helping to lead worship at one of the churches. And I received those and turn around and set everything on the altar. I just look at what the other pastors are doing and like do what they do, right? So, so I took the basket and I put it up on the altar. And then I turned around and someone handed me a live chicken one Sunday. <laughs> and, and so I like took the live chicken and like, thank you. And I balanced them over here on the corner of the altar. The feet were tied so it couldn't run off and just laid it there. And, and then during the sermon, it kind of squirmed enough to kind of jump off the altar, squawked really loud, and even the Tanzanians thought that was hilarious. So uh, just a joyful picture of, of this different way of being in the world that Jesus, I think, is continually uh, opening up to, to, to everybody, to all of us, you know, the lost coin, the lost sheep, the lost son. There, there's a different way of understanding our place in this world, of understanding our status and where we might look for security. And we heard it again this morning. You are, in fact, a beloved child of God. This is your status. You will never rise above it. You will never fall below it. And that is good news for us to take into the world as we go in peace to love and serve the Lord. Thanks be to God. <laughs>